Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Someone has said Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience. I don't know about you, but that is certainly true of me. Don't get me wrong, I'm in the PCA. I love biblical truth and trying to figure out how to base our lives upon it. But more often than not, I know what I should do. I just don't want badly enough to do it, especially badly enough to keep doing it over the long haul. My struggle with obedience is more the lack of motivation than it is ignorance. But fortunately, my Heavenly Father is a motivator. Just last evening, about 8.30, I said to the Lord, Father, I'm really getting discouraged about how tough the men's ministry spiritual battle is, and especially the battle in our nation over God's design of gender. Lord, my work can't be about my success. I I don't need that or want that, but I think I need some encouragement right now. In less than an hour, I had a phone call with someone who had spoken with a Maryland state delegate who wants a copy of my book, Our Daughter and the Transgender Craze, who reported how well his first meeting with two buddies going through my book, Got Your Back, went, and who ordered eight more copies of Got Your Back because he wants to give each of his two boys enough copies for each of them to go get some brothers to be their spiritual battle buddies when they return to college. God is a heavenly father who knows his children's continual need for encouragement. This episode examines his example, why our kids need our fatherly encouragement so much, and some concrete ways to give that encouragement to them. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 27 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yagel. This is the last episode in our June series, Loving Our Kids with the Fatherly Love of God. If you've missed the earlier episodes, I hope you'll get a chance to go back to week one when we talked about how vital it is for us to soak in the unconditional love of God for us so our tank is filled and that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit through that connection with Christ to give that love then to our wives and kids. We saw the next week how two biblical writers, Solomon and the author of Hebrews, in explaining the need to endure painful experiences, appealed to a creation principle that they assumed their audience would understand, and that is that all loving fathers discipline their children. In fact, this is such a foundational parenting truth that Proverbs 13.24 says parents who don't discipline their kids hate them. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And then last week we saw that loving fathers guide their kids into the way that they should go. One of the first things that God did after he led Israel, whom he calls his son, out of slavery in Egypt, a biblical picture of enslavement to sin, was to give the Ten Commandments to them to show them how to live. This week, we examine another striking picture of fatherhood exhibited by God the Father, in this case, toward Christ, his son. We read, 
from Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I believe that this text is one of the most profound in Scripture about the father-son paradigm that God the Father and God the Son model. Here and again on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father says the two things to God the Son that every son and daughter most want to hear from their dad. I love you and I'm proud of you. In the last 40 years, a whole field of Christian psychology has emerged that recognizes the profound need children have for affirmation from their father. No matter how successful, how affectionate, or how committed to Christ a father might be, unless the dad regularly follows the pattern of God, the father, in verbally affirming his child's character, the child will have an emotional deficit, which has been called the father wound. I know that psychobabble is overdone and often an excuse that's found for sinful behavior, but in this case, I believe such findings make sense. The father's relationship with the son is the paradigm for all father-child relationships, and the audible, verbal affirmation, in whom I am well pleased, is striking. So here are five reasons our kids need our words of praise. First, because of what kids are up against. Research shows that parents give 10 negative comments to every positive comment. Schools give 18 negative comments to every positive comment. When kids enter the first grade, according to Focus on the Family, 80% have a positive view of themselves. When they leave in sixth grade, that slips to 10%. And 15,000 negative statements have been received by kids upon their high school graduation. We do see a current-day overreaction to this focus on self-image, I believe. Being afraid to stifle a child's development by correcting his wrong behavior or saying anything negative about him, you know, that's the everyone-gets-a-trophy movement. That is not what the Bible teaches. The wrong way to build up a child is to throw away any standards of right, wrong, winning, and losing. The biblical approach is that just as we catch our kids doing wrong and we must punish that behavior, we must catch them doing right and affirm godly character. If we only catch them doing wrong and don't equally praise them for right attitudes, we will crush their self-esteem. Secondly, kids need our words of praise because in God's design of children, every child wants to hear his father's words, I'm proud of you. Of course, this inference is from the pattern of the Father's words of approval to Jesus that we just read, but I think it's equally visible in everyday human experience. Listen to the words of actor-director Kevin Cosner. He says, I guess like most kids, what I most wanted was to please. I still care a lot what people think of me. I wanted to be liked by my dad most of all. I still do. As a kid, when my dad was coming home, my brother and I used to wait for him. He was a working guy, a lineman for Edison, and we used to race to undo the laces of his boots when he came in. 
My brother would take the left boot and I'd take the right. Just really glad my dad was there. I wanted so much to please him. This heart attitude of kids toward their dads may be what Proverbs 17.6 is referring to when it says the glory of children is their father's. I will never forget a short news clip of President George W. Bush. I noticed as he was about to board Air Force One the morning after he'd won re-election to the presidency. The race hadn't been called until 3 a.m., and the most powerful man in the world made this comment. Yeah, my dad went to bed before 3 o'clock, so I didn't get to see the look of pride in his eyes to know that his son had won re-election. One of the most powerful drives in the heart of a child is to hear his father say, well done. I am proud of you. And that leads to the third reason our kids need to hear our praise. Kids need a dad's encouragement because every human is wired to be highly motivated by praise. In Jesus' parable of the talents, for example, Matthew 25, 14, Jesus appeals to the human desire of the servant to hear the words, well done, from his master. In Proverbs 31, God motivates women to be virtuous in character by saying that their husbands will praise them, their children will praise them, and even God himself states that they are worthy of praise. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Praise is a tremendous human motivator. And so fathers must give their children the spiritual power that comes from praising their Christ-like character qualities. The power of praise became obvious to me some years ago in an incident that I've shared once before, I think. My second-born son, Tim, he was only four years old, and he got up before the rest of the family, went down to the kitchen, and proceeded to set the table for breakfast. He pulled the chair over to the cabinet, got down the bowls, found the boxes of cereal, and climbed up to the top of the refrigerator shelf to get the milk. When I arrived in the kitchen, I saw what Tim had done. I raved about it, saying, Tim, you've just shown a godly character trait called initiative, recognizing and doing what needs to be done before you're asked to do it. He answered, yeah, couldn't even say the word. But when each of the other five family members arrived at the breakfast table, I praised Tim to them. And guess what I found Tim doing the next morning? Yes, setting the table again. A verbal affirmation is incredibly powerful. The fourth reason to praise our kids is because praising a child's character sets his or her focus on developing godly heart attitudes. It teaches him to win approval, not by his outward appearance or athletic prowess, which our children can't control. Setting their focus on godly character is what God does with humans. He appeals to women's God-given desire to be beautiful. Peter writes, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. David appeals to his son's desire to be strong with the words on his deathbed, as we saw last week, 
I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. The fifth reason we know we need to praise our kids is because Scripture tells us that it's a father's job to do so. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 through 13. What this passage teaches is that fathers are to be master motivators. Let's dig into this text in more detail to discover how brilliantly Paul motivated the Thessalonians. Let's take the phrase, we encouraged you. The Greek word paramuthia, from para, alongside, plus muthos, speak, implies speaking closely to another with a degree of tenderness, comforting, or consoling. This emotional support usually regards the present and the past. Here are specific ways to send a message that comforts and emotionally supports our kids. First, be present at home, at his games, in his world. Your presence, like nothing else, proves his importance to you and thus his value. 1,500 schoolchildren were asked, what do you think makes a happy family? They did not answer a big screen TV, the latest iPhone, or getting to play video games all day. The most frequent answer was doing things together as a family. If our kids leave home at roughly 20 and we live to be roughly 70, our kids will only be in our lives two-sevenths of it. We need to go conquer the world the other five-sevenths. Another thought about what paramuthia means is that when our child goes through sorrow, it is also valuable sometimes to remember that our presence is usually the best comfort. I'm reminded of the little girl who went to comfort the mother of a playmate who died. When she came back, her own mother asked her what she had done to comfort the other mother. The little girl answered, I just climbed up on her lap and cried with her. Another aspect of this Greek word that has to do again with consoling is not just offering them our presence, but also our ears and hearts. Jean Doring, in her book, The Power of Encouragement, writes, Paul Tournier, considered one of the great all-time people helpers, was asked one time to share his secret for counseling. He replied, I don't know how to help people. I simply listen in love and try to provide a safe place where people can come and report on their progress without any judgment. She continues, listening means offering our uncondemning attention so a person can talk out his confused feelings. When the hurting person wants to talk about the crisis or his anger or his guilt or whatever, the listener should not try to change the subject. The details may be retold several times with the same ideas expressed, but the process will lead to healing. So the word encourage, the Greek word used here, console, requires our presence, our empathy, and our listening. The second word that Paul used is we exhorted you. The Greek word is parakaleo from para alongside plus kaleo, which means to call. 
It means to motivate another to pursue a specific future path. The exhorter entreats, urges, advises another to pursue a course of conduct. It is always prospective, looking to the future, unlike consoling paramuthia, which comforts in the midst of present pain, which is often from past events. Here are four specific aspects of parakaleo. First, forward-looking exhortation can center around confidence that your listener has what it takes. I know you'll figure out how to get through this. I know you'll make the right decision. You have what it takes to be a great coach. Son, you have what it takes to be a real man. My daughter, if anyone can pull this off, you can. Secondly, exhorting can also be casting a vision. Someday, you need to write a book on how to love your wife well. Or, you excel at biology and have great people skills. I bet you'd be a great doctor. Or, you are so good at sharing your faith that I bet you will lead a lot of people to Jesus when you head off to college this summer. Jesus cast a vision for Peter's future when he said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Children fear failure, and anything you can do to visualize achievement for them motivates them. Third, another form of exhortation for the future has to do with overcoming adversity, saying things like, it's too soon to quit. The most meaningless statistic in a ball game is the score at halftime. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Excellence is on the far side of hard work. A diamond is a piece of coal that stayed on the job. From Vince Lombardi, press on. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence, which was the favorite quote of Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's. From a famous British field general, the Duke of Wellington, my men are not braver than other troops. They are just brave five minutes longer. And from TR, part of his bigger favorite quote of mine, there is no effort without error and shortcoming. The fourth observation about the word exhorter, the paraclete, was that it was used in the Greek culture for a legal advocate, someone who advocates for you. Paul Lewis, in his book, The Five Key Habits of Smart Dads, writes, All children need to know that someone is there pulling for them, that someone in the stands is cheering them on. More important, children need to know that their fathers are there to encourage them. Because children look first and most to their parents for that encouragement, a cheerleading father helps his son discover his competence, helps his daughter perceive her ability to be successful, useful, self-actualized. You see this phenomenon every weekend at athletic events and school plays. When dad is on the sidelines encouraging his child, the child plays better. When dad is in the audience, the child performs the best. A child may still excel without her father there to watch her, but the achievement is not as sweet. Well, back in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, as we've just looked at encourage and exhort, we continue. You know how we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In this short partial sentence, we see Paul appealing to the Thessalonian believers five different ways. Let's dig into them. First, we charged you. 
Paul's words to them were no Dear Abby advice. They were a solemn reminder of the seriousness of the covenant commitment they had entered into with God himself. The word charged is the word for witness, which probably points back to Paul's authority as an apostle who had to have seen the risen Christ. Paul was saying, this is serious stuff. Second, walk in a manner worthy of God, writes Paul. We saw that an exhortation is urging someone to pursue a specific course of action. Here it is walk, travel through life with a scale in the back of your mind. On the one side of the scale is the glory of who God is, his righteousness, holiness, goodness, wisdom, his choice of us to regenerate and to draw to himself, most of all, his costly love for us on the cross. On the other side of the scale is the kind of response this kind of God deserves, the level of allegiance that is fitting to such a king, the wholehearted all-in commitment of which this God alone is worthy. Third, we see Paul saying, who calls you? Being a Christian is not about signing your name to a membership role or about joining a club. It's a personal response to Jesus' personal call to you and me. My brother-in-law used to say to his football team, your physical ability to play on this football team is God's gift to you. What you do with that ability is your gift to God. There is tremendous motivation in understanding that our faith is a personal call from Jesus to follow him. Os Guinness writes, Do you want to accept a challenge that will be the integrating dynamic of your whole life? One that will engage your loftiest thoughts, your most dedicated exertions, your deepest emotions, all your abilities and resources to the last step you take and the last breath you breathe? Listen to Jesus of Nazareth. Answer his call. Fourth, as Paul continues, that calling is into Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom is humanity that has been fixed. Christ has overthrown Satan's sin and death and begun to restore everything broken by sin. The place where Jesus leads us to follow him is the path of wholeness and life. Moreover, the great calling of kingdom membership is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a redeemed life, pointing to Jesus by our character and the way we live, and stopping the decay of sin in this world by being salt. What greater purpose could there be in life? Paul continues to motivate his readers one more way. He continues, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul inspires the Thessalonian believers with the future that awaits them. Using different words, he did the same thing for the Corinthian believers, reminding them, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Well, everyone needs encouragement, and fathers are especially called to become master motivators. (music) 
To summarize this episode, although the last episode observed that loving fathers raise up their children in the way they should go, in this episode we considered that she needs more than direction, she needs motivation. Not only do we see God the Father verbally praise God the Son with the words, I love you and I am proud of you, giving us a clear paradigm showing a child's need for encouragement from her father, but Paul also tells us that a father's role is encouraging and exhorting his children. We dug into Paul's own description of the father-like way that he had motivated the Thessalonian church. He encouraged them, the words suggesting tender, consoling comfort based on the presence, empathy, and listening of a father. He exhorted them, urging them toward their future through words of confidence in them vision casting, words and metaphors to urge perseverance, and being their child's advocate, one always on their side. We finished by looking even deeper into the way that Paul motivated the church in this short phrase, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul says in essence, number one, this is serious stuff. Number two, God is worthy of the best you have to offer. Number three, heart-ignited discipleship happens when you remember that it is based on Jesus' personal call to us. Fourth, that call is to restoration to the path of life and to show the world the restored humanity that the kingdom of Jesus brings. And fifth, our calling ends with glory. For further prayerful thought, number one, how would you support an argument to a friend that children need fathers who are master motivators? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we begin a summer series, Understanding the Masculine Passions that Drive Us. We will be examining what God designed the male heart to need for satisfaction, and then both how that hunger can lead us astray and how God intends that desire to be satisfied. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about it as together we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well.